Okay, so um, really, really great to have you on, Dave, and just um, to introduce yourself to the audience, I guess, in terms of who you are and what you do and, you know, what fun you're having now on um, Cloudy with a Chance of Dyslexia. Um, thanks for joining us, mm -hmm. but um, be, be great just for okay. you to just introduce yourself initially. Sure. Uh, hi, John. Thanks for inviting me on. It's a pleasure. It's unusual to be on this side of the table, and I'm hopefully going to enjoy it. Um, yeah, so my name's Dave. I uh, I've worked in tech for my entire career. Um, the first 25 years or so of my career, I was always on the customer side and generally doing some form of tech-driven transformation, which obviously during the eras of technology over the last 25-odd years has changed in its in its style a little bit, um, but generally with the same ethos, which is how do you make businesses better and humans better through technology? And then on the in, in the last three or four years, no, actually, no, probably actually last five or six years now, um, I've been on the advisory side of the world and I'm currently at uh, Capgemini as Chief Cloud Evangelist. Fantastic. Well, that's that's great, great to know. And throughout your career, you've been involved in some huge projects and like complex cloud transformation. So can you share any particular project hmm. that stands out for maybe some of the challenges, but the value make, it brought to the business? Yeah, the one that, the one that was a, a real linchpin in my career, I think, and the one that I was building up to uh, on the customer side was I um, I ran the initiated and ran the BP cloud transformation program, which ultimately ended up also having workplace transformation and network transformation all pulled into one very significant endeavor called Digital Foundations. And that program ran ultimately for about a five-year period, something along those lines. And for me personally, um, it was the it was the one that I felt like I'd been working most of my life towards having the the skills and the ability to actually be able to make the case initially for something like a cloud transformation and then ultimately execute on that cloud transformation in in some way, shape, or form. Um, it was hugely challenging. Uh, it was hugely challenging because at the time that we we went into doing that piece of work. It was very, very early days for cloud. We're probably talking 10 or 12 years ago now when we initially started to do that piece of work. Um, I think the iPhone 4 had just <laughs> come out when I was originally started to think about how to, how to um, you know, help a large organization go on a transformation journey like that. Wow, wow. The iPhone 4. Yeah. The iPhone 4. Those were the days. I still miss the iPhone 4. <laughs> Um, the, the upside of it though, uh, and we can maybe delve into it a little bit more as the questioning goes on, but the, up, the, the general upside of it was, um, predicated on cost saving at the time. So it was predicated on a data center exit, high volume at, at high speed, given the, given the sheer scale of the organization. And then when it got to the other side, it would have eliminated a number of underlying risks with service life, completely refreshed a lot of the up to operating system level of the estate, and then set up a platform for future innovation for the organization, um, much of which came to pass. Um, like many organizations, the transition to cloud and how, it, how much it costs during and then after transition 
continued to be a challenge. It's not straightforward and it requires new capabilities to be built to manage cost in a different way. Um, but in terms of building a platform for the future, I mean, uh, you know, a few years after that platform was established, we hit things like the pandemic and that platform provided opportunities for that organization to sail through practically untouched in terms of productivity and its knowledge worker workforce and all of those sorts of things where, you know, we're immediately still, we're immediately still productive. Mission accomplished then, Dave. That's, that's, um, that's great to hear. And then, and, and again, the fact that that was the very early days of cloud and imagine um, the challenges of trying to explain that to leadership you know, at the time must have been a, an interesting conversation oh, yeah. <laughs> getting that across. It, it, it was hard. It was indeed hard. And we were, I mean, the organization I was working in then, it, it's a very engineering culture. Uh, it's a very innovative organization. So it's, it's generally open to that conversation. But you still have to go through many cycles of education on not just the technology, um, to a certain extent, as it always is in technology projects, the technology itself is often the more straightforward bit or the more easily learnable or teachable bit. The more complex bit is the impact that it has, the risks that it brings along. And in the case of cloud, the changes to things like the financial framework and kind of how the P&L of IT ends up looking as a result of shifting from you know, capital expenditure to OPEX and all the various um, considerations that needs to go into that. I, I was very lucky at the time because I had a couple of senior sponsors that were that could that, that very quickly understood the positives of doing something like that, and were very supportive as we went through the you know many months actually of of making the argument, refining the argument, making the argument again to. to Till a point we till till we had it to a point where we could actually start to execute. So, so the leadership style at the t at the time, Dave, where, when you look at the mm. styles of management, I guess waterfall would have been like, I suppose, part of that process. And it was was it just developing into changing to a more of an agile approach to business at the time, or mm. was it a transition, or was it still very waterfall in terms of management style? Or were you seeing a transition at that stage? Yes. So where were we? Predominantly, we were in a world of waterfall right. at that point. And that was both in terms of how we were operating as an IT organization, but more challengingly, because the IT organization was pretty receptive to wanting to do things in a new way quite quickly. But more challengingly was that the, the macro governance of the organization also worked in a waterfall style way. So if you want to try and implement a change program that was highly visible like this one was and and you know had a lot of investment attached to it, then that's going to be visible at the top level of the organization, and quite rightly so. So the challenge was how do you take a, a, a change program that's, that has a huge impact and make the case to deliver that in a new style way that doesn't necessarily fit the governance framework of the organization. That was the, that was the fundamental challenge. And, and I articulate that now in a way that like, well, he's, he's 30 words about how we need to do that. But actually it took us probably a couple of quarters to even conceptualize that, that that was the problem we had to solve. You know, so the, we were, we were constantly 
discovering new things, refining what we thought, moving on another step, taking two steps back, refining what we thought. And where we ended up going with with it, it won't surprise probably people to hear was we ended up with sort of some some sort of sort of agile construct at the top of the organization where within certain gates um, for the main governance process, within those gates we would operate in an agile in an agile style way. <clears throat> and we and, and and that was um the beginning, I think, of of us really thinking about what leading in an agile way looks and feels like people get very wrapped up in methodological concerns when it comes to things like agile and waterfall but actually like like many things in what probably we'll talk about today at the heart of all of these things are human beings human beings perspective on things human beings perspective on leadership styles of leadership all of those sorts of things when you when you're talking about transformation at that scale and that profound a transformation you've got to dig into that and that goes from the you know from the individual so the individual leader's learning journey all the way through then to how at organizational level that makes change so so on on to the question of change you've held a lot of leadership roles in in in, in your career and so and with various tech companies so how does your approach mm-hmm. to that strategy because you, t- you know, and, and I, I will say for the people that might listen to this that don't understand what waterfall is and don't understand what agile is, I might even do a little sub note session, you know, maybe explaining that as well in in in, in the podcast. But but in terms of how you um, approach the strategy and innovation to evolve over time, especially in the context of very much cloud and digital transformation, how's that changed for you? Yeah. You know, in terms of the, the the strategy and i guess that's very much the maybe the waterfall style but um what what's what what would you say has been um how it's evolved and how that that transition has happened for you so i'll uh, i'll tell you a bit of a a story that happened i've told this a, a couple of times this story so if you if any of your listeners have heard this before i, I apologize <laughs> for repeating myself but it, it was the moment of it, it was a light bulb moment that you have a handful of times in your career, if you're lucky, you have a moment where you you get a realization, either you personally make it or a coach helps you with it or something like that, where you suddenly realize you have to do something in, 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 a, in a really very different way. And actually, that opens up a whole new universe of thinking and approaches that you perhaps hadn't had before. And And mine happened on the program we're talking about. And about a year into the program, my my leadership and I were sat in a in a room we were, and we were working our way through what is not uncommon when you're managing a big portfolio of complex programs. The you know you don't have enough money, you don't have enough time, and you've got far too many requests on what you want to do as a team to actually square the circle of all of that. And we were ex you know, we were exploring multiple different ways that we might go about solving some of the logjam problem that we had in the program. And that meeting was getting a little tense. Um, we were surrounded at the time by some, you know, complex project, uh, complex uh, politics. We had a lot of people asking questions of the program, all completely valid. Um, and as it does in a situation like that, when you don't have a clear way forward or at least a clear next step forward, 
tensions arise within the team and it's how you manage those tensions and keep everybody facing forward and walking forward even though you've got a huge amount of uncertainty or, or difficulty. Anyway, we weren't being productive in this meeting. We weren't finding a way forward and it was and it was getting difficult. Yeah, so we, we were having this conversation and, and I happened to have my coach in the room and it was my coach, but also I was you, you, we were leveraging my coach right across the team and he was he would do one-to-ones with different members of the team. Then he'd sit in and kind of watch us as, as a group. And it was all about, you know, development of the, of the, of the performance of the team. And anyway, so we, we were in this borderline argument and I turned to Alistair, the coach, and I said, Alistair, um, look, we, we ain't making any headway here. Have you got any advice? And what he said was, it looks like you're looking for a complicated solution to a complex problem. And I was like, well, that sounded good, but what does that mean? And what he was referring to um, was an absolutely excellent piece of work called the Kinefin Framework, which is um, which was uh, kind of invented and then developed by Dave Snowden and various people that he works with. And if you go on, online, you can find information on it at the Kinefin Co. website. So have a look at that. And it's Kinefin spelled in the Welsh way, which okay. is... C-Y-N-E-F-I-N. And the Kinefin framework effectively um, talks about four states of the world, you know, like in a, in a two by two. So bottom left would be like the world of order, very well understood, very clear, very repeatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you do steps one through five, you can repeat steps one through five and get a pretty consistent answer. And then top right is complicated. And complicated is effectively the world of waterfall. There there is a load of known unknowns and there's a lot of understood risk mitigation for those unknown unknowns. That means that the planning horizon can go out quite far. So you can do a three-year plan or you can create a plan to build a building. It's still a very difficult endeavor and can be very, very costly and very disruptive. But actually humans have done it now for hundreds of years and we know what we're doing. So therefore the planning horizon is clear. What happens in that sort of world is people get locked into that direction. It becomes unresponsive to change and unresponsive to changing environments. And then if you switch on to the left-hand side of the two-by-two, bottom left would be chaos. Um, So chaos is obviously every minute the situation changes, decisions just have to get made with incomplete information. Almost everything is an unknown, but you just have to keep moving forward and eventually things will clarify. So the, like the world going into COVID is a very good, is a very good example of, of chaos yeah. management. And then finally, top left is the world of complexity. Um, and complexity is, is dealing with a world where there are unknown unknowns, but, but recognizing that and tailoring your leadership <coughs> and the way that you respond to those things and respond to market conditions accordingly. So instead of planning for three years, you might plan for six months or three months. You might test something in the market, see how the market responds to it, and then and then respond to that. So Amazon, for example, when they are releasing new stuff onto their platform, it's it's, it's fairly well talked about example. Amazon do hundreds of releases a day, and that is true. But actually, they don't leave all of those releases out all of the time. 
So sometimes they put releases out, they test the market response to that release and then pull it back in and refine it. So Prime, for example, was a series of refined tests that that ultimately got to the you know the the product that you would recognize as prime mm-hmm. right now but you're dealing with a very different difficult way where sometimes you don't know what the answer is going to be so alex was what alistair was suggesting when he said you're looking for a complicated solution to a complex problem is that in the program that we had at the time there was such a high level of unknowns we were breaking new ground in almost every single direction and therefore, how do you expect to plan in the way that you would have on a project that you really knew how to do? So we had to then change how we reported. We had to change how we ran those sessions. We had to cha- we had to bring our horizon right in, in terms of, you know, kind of making promises until we then got into a rhythm of, of, of how do you lead in this new way? So that, that to me is like pr- probably one of the more profound in a moment in my career when I actually lots of things in that conversation then slipped into place in terms of a digital organization versus a legacy organization and how does it, you know, a change enabled organization or, or a very responsive organization versus an unresponsive organization. What are the things that are going on underneath that? And actually, if you use KFN as a framing, as a framing vehicle for that, it's, it's pretty insightful. Now I'll, uh, I'll make sure that I, I include that in the, in the notes down below when we when we release this but what one of the interesting things that you you said was that um that level of complexity in management how do you mm-hmm. mentally cope with that and that, that's really like yourself how did you like look after your, your own you know this is a bit of an aside really but how did you cope with that period did you <laughs> did you um you know go and meditate or did you like uh just have a beer after work was that the answer at the time i was just just interested to know maybe that was the answer because it was a very much a you know period but how, how did you mentally cope with that at the time oh, that's a good question uh, and actually as i get older uh, and i uh, and hopefully more experienced that you can't always say that that's the case um older certainly um I pay much more attention to that actually on a personal yeah. level and actually become um, much more mindful of it. I can't say I was the same at the time we were going through this. That I was maybe emerging into that space, but I was still subject to my own anxiety around it. So I, I, did, I did self-medicate a bit through having yeah. beers with friends and talking things through and, you know, having a moan and all of those good things. Uh, And I I wasn't yet there enough to actually recognize what was going on with me uh, at the time. And in hindsight, I can now look back and describe these things to you. But as I, as I was going through them, it was like, there was actually much more intuition and, you know, some aspects of courage, maybe some aspects of naivety, which I, I think you also need going into these things um, that, that, you know, ultimately get you through it. Um, it probably wasn't the most mentally healthy time in my life, um, but I need, but I, I lent on coaches and talked, talked some of those things through. <clears throat> and now as I, you know, now as I am, seven or eight years later from the end of that process, um, I deal with these things very differently now and and think much more, um, what's the right word? 
I'm much more pre uh, yeah I'm, I'm a sort of much more preemptive and aware of the response that I'm likely to have whether that's like my kind of underlying uncontrolled psychological response or whether it's like a intentional response and try to be a bit more measured about those things and also keep some distance from them yeah, yeah. and actually at the heart of your question also I think was um an interesting thing which is when you're in the world of complicated and everyone's in the world of complicated and everybody's following the three-year plan or everybody knows that they want to hit X percent plus or minus 0.5% by the end of the year, everyone gets on that track and everyone's in the same swim lane. However, when you're doing something that that is constructively disrupting that, um, that requires quite a lot of personal courage because the way you end up reporting it and the way you end up talking about it with people might be so different to what they've only ever experienced as what made them successful before that they almost immediately start to reject it as a as an idea because it doesn't feel as professional or whatever it might be so going into these big change programs now i think it's not only kind of how do you look after yourself, but it's actually spending the time to help people to understand it. So rather than trying to sell concepts to people, it's actually much more like just helping them to understand different ways of doing things sometimes. So so this leads on nicely, really. I've, I've sort of looked at um, some of the questions that we, we talked about before, but, but one of the things probably leads on to mm-hmm. how do you see the role of cloud technology in business transformation and particularly in terms of agility, scalability and innovation. And, and I suppose to, to lean on that as things speed up, you know, how, and, and you've mentioned coaching quite a bit. Yeah. And I think it's more accessible to people now yeah. than ever before. And probably more, there's more places to find that coaching is, you know, and, and that's probably a side question, but would you say to a young leader coming through, go and get a coach? Would you would you would you would you say that that's a really highly recommended thing to do? From what you've said, it seems like you know businesses mm. will buy coaching at some phase in leadership um, growth, but they don't necessarily tell you. Yeah. yeah. So it's just just a yeah, it's quite a big question there, really, because we've talked about cloud. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot, a lot in, in that one. So, so, in so yeah, so it's probably a two part. Question. Well, let me do that. Let me take the coaching. Let me let let me take them in reverse order, maybe. Yeah start with the end and talk about coaching and then I'll talk about cloud and, and, uh, and business, business change on coaching. I think almost universally. Yes. So, um, I see the development of yourself personally and that might, you you know, what has been said, what, what gets called sometimes soft skills, which sort of almost, demeans it sometimes, mm. you know, like you, you've got these hard or technical skills over here, which are all about your profession and what you do. And soft skills are actually much more about how you do things. And they're equally important. And sometimes they're more important. And actually, it's, it's much easier to train hard skills than it is soft skills, because a lot of it comes from the sort of person you are, the sort of human that you are. So the more aware you can become about how you build that set of skills in tandem with the sort of the hard skill professional person you want to be, 
the more effective you will be. It's, it's just as simple as that. And even though we talk about tech all of the time, you talk to anybody sensible in the world of tech or tech change, they will always refer to the human in the middle of the in the middle of the technology. The humans still you know, just about until we have the rise of the robots in the next ten years. But um, at the moment, humans are still at the center of the conversation. They're still the ones that um, they're still the ones that make the decisions. They're still the ones that block things, um, and they're still the ones that you know bounce off the surface of things if it doesn't go very well and get injured in whatever way. So coaches, to me, help you build that side of yourself. It helps build your resilience, helps build your understandings of other, of other humans and how organizations, you know, humans come together to create organizations. You forget that sometimes when you're joining organizations, but actually it's just a big network of, of you know, like-minded and directed humans. And so therefore within that, you need to be able to operate. So yes, leaders who are coming through who aspire to levels of leadership where they want to change direction or drive direction and have ideas and and implement ideas the how of it is just every bit as important as the what and like i said more important in some cases so yeah i I personally you know you might be one of these people that's just just a genius that pops out knowing all of this (laughs) Uh, for me, it's been a journey. No, I'm one like, of those people, and it, and it continues to be. And, yeah, I, I always thought so. John. I mean, you're, you're thinking, "God, oh, this sounds like a lot of, way, lot of wasted time." Just crack on. But uh, but yeah, no. The, the the real the the real reason is most of it's learned skill. So you, you look at a leader who is like really polished and really good at what they do, and you're like, "God, they they really show up well." Most of that has been taught or communicated to them. A, a few have it intuitively, but not not everybody. Um, so yeah, the more help you can get, I, I'll take as much help as I can catch on. Even some of the line. great leaders, you look back at Bill Gates' early videos and when he was first presenting, or you know, any, any anybody who's run a huge organisation, they've got so much more polished through the years, haven't they? Just from uh, the, oh, the guidance sure. they've had, and I think that that's they've obviously been coached in terms of that approach and how to speak and. Yeah. So, so, so. Sorry. Yeah. Ca- no, carry on on the um, the other sec- the other parts of the question that I threw at you. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm on part three of a <laughs> nine part question. So I'll uh, I'll get through. Um, the, so the the so the yeah the next bit. I think you were asking about um, cloud and how cloud can help change businesses and and, and such like and the impact cloud has on businesses. Um, so I've worked in. I've worked in organizations pre-cloud and post-cloud and and I hold cloud and one of the reasons I jumped into doing it more fully as a profession is being a a very significant change agent in how businesses can operate it isn't just another you know kind of small iteration of technology it can be profoundly different um, to do it properly and the way that I hold it is there's been really three eras of major compute. Um, started with the mainframe back in the 60s through to sort of the early 80s. And, you know, if you think about what happened with mainframe, organizations structure themselves around their compute. So if you want to get an answer from the computer for a certain thing, you would have to go down, you know, trot down into the basement or something like that where you would have a huge air-conditioned computer room and people in white coats 
And then you would have to work on punch cards to get the computer to operate and then to give you an answer. And the round, you know, the round trip journey on that, you know, might be, I don't know, might, might be a number of days before you get an answer to that. So it's not, what, what's happening there is you're not really transforming how an organization operates with it. You're speeding certain aspects of it up. You may be doing computation that might have taken whole teams. Now you're doing it with, you know, kind of with one computer operation, but it's still taking a, a period of time. So organizations go along, centralized compute, work in a certain way, not radically changed. Then you have um, client server and within that, the internet era coming along and client server democratized technology. So you would then have computers on desks, computers at home. And what that did to organizations and the software that came along with that, it allowed organizations to then start to um, join up. You know, the much derided spreadsheet has had a profoundly transformational effect on how organizations work and that goes all the way through to things like erp technologies which allowed organizations to globalize so along with the internet and client server and associated technologies like the world globalized as a result of that type of compute organizations started to uh, make themselves more efficient they started to use you know um those awful uh, I can't think of the awful, you know, thing where you ring up and you get automated, <laughs> automated telephony responses and all of that kind of stuff. But got laughably dumb in some ways, but still allowed sort of efficiencies to be found and different ways of doing things. And and it and it was an interesting period. Um, and organisations within that period fundamentally changed shape. What cloud compute brings along is. Um, a way to work much faster. So within the client server era, you had your own data centers, or even if you had outsourced your data centers, there would still be like a lead time on equipment or whatever that might be. All of that, all of that lead time on things and all of the message passing between the different departments in those structures sought to create a certain tick speed for an organization. It matured over three, um, three or four generations of outsourcing. So by the time we got to the end of the client server period, it was a very well understood way of operating and waterfall fit into that really well, just to bring that back into the conversation for a second. For a second, But if you wanted within that era of compute to move faster, to implement faster, to be more responsive to your market, you would have struggled because of how that technology functioned and how the supply chains of that technology function. In the world of cloud, all of that goes away. So any any anchoring, slowing down effect that you used to have in the world of client server with democratized technology now changes. It's still hyper-democratized. Anybody can do it, and there's no lead times. You can pop stuff up straight away. That means that enables then complex ways of working, to use the Kinefin word, or agile ways of working, because the technology is, is legitimately no longer a barrier the lead times are no longer a barrier and the innovation speed of the technology itself is at a rate that you can barely keep up with. So there's always new stuff there to, to exploit. So in, so in my mind then, when you, when you look at the effect of cloud on businesses and people refer to things like cloud native businesses or digital transformation, what you're really talking about is moving from a way of working that was dominated by 
client server technology and lead times to a way of working now that's much more natural and responsive. Um, but it is fundamentally different. So, so, so cloud to me is the harbinger of a third era of compute that's, that's smaller, agile, is highly responsive, and has got an extremely quickly innovating tech stack. And of course, within that tech stack, you've, we've had things like big data and we've had data lakes and different ways of thinking about how to harness data in an organization. And now, of course, we're getting into, into things like large language models and generative AI, which are now, which are now creating wholly more immersive and natural ways to access that data. So what's, li- what's likely to happen is that even though we're sort of like 10 years or so into the cloud era, I think we're going to see the next five years of being like deeply more transformative. Yeah, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, that's an area that I've spent the last year really looking at and um, sort of a li- little bit to an aside question on that is with those transformations, mm-hmm. you see there's, there's quite a few interviews with Bill Gates going on and like he's talking about his shock in terms of how good it is in terms of open AI. Um, yeah. where, do you, where do you see that going in terms of, you know, how, how would you advise businesses to take a strategic view of that? Now, I know this is a little bit off topic, but if, if, um, if you look at the impact of, of something, you know, a tool, they are tools and they are the new machine. The, the way I look at it is then a new machine and people will look back on what we're doing now as almost a cave painting time you know, in, in probably mm-hmm. 10 years, you know. Um, that's perhaps, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, with with your strategic sort of mindset and, a, and sort of trying to get operational excellence working as well as a cloud evangelist, how would you, how would you proceed with having that conversation with clients today or having, having more of a, a coaching conversation with, with um, a, a friend or a customer about how they'd implement something like AI? Because I think you don't have a choice now. I think you have to, you know, you have to build it into your strategy. It's like, you know, it's not, it's not a choice anymore. But um, yeah, thoughts on that? Um, so I, the way a lot of people used to think about strategy is you're almost trying to predict the future and then create like a plan to get to that notion of the future. And in a very well understood, less complex world, for a period of time, that was possible. And and just so I don't come off as horrifically naive, at some level that is also still possible today. You can still set strategy and direction a, a good period out and and head towards it. However, I think the the, the number of moving parts the amount of pivots and course changes you'll make between now and getting to that North Star are now now in my mind part of the process. So strategy is an iterative process. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be afraid of changing direction or pivoting when something in the environment has changed and, and don't be blind to that and push through as if nothing's happened. So str- strategy making itself, I think, in the modern world is a is a really is a really different is a really different skill than it than it was even perhaps ten years ago. Certainly fifteen years ago. With AI, yes, it's a no brainer. I mean, you'll have AI enabled companies and you'll have uncompetitive companies. I think that's 
that's the way everybody's mm-hmm. saying it. Now, I'm not making an argument here about whether AI is right or wrong. I think that's, that's a whole other podcast, yeah. or certainly another question. But let's let's assume for now that it just is, and let's assume that it's a at minimum a tool that is going to make organisations incredibly more efficient from a human perspective. What you can definitely say is uh, that it's going to have an an absolutely transformative effect to a level that is actually hard to predict right now. Um, but what I would, what the way I've started to think about it with uh, with with customers uh, and and just generally is that there are two ways you can you can think about implementing it. You can go the efficiency route, or you can go the effectiveness route. And it depends on what you want to try and do. So in, in an efficiency route, which is actually the predominant mindset of, of, of a lot of IT professionals who are long in the tooth like I am, because we've been brought up as IT needing to manage its costs, drive down costs, centralize things, make things more efficient. Your first notion might be about control or it might be about putting in a platform or it might be about, um, you know, some aspect of, you know, kind of getting your arms around it, which is fine. But you may well end up putting something in place that's completely inappropriate for where it actually ends up. And then there's the other route, which is about effectiveness, which is much more about open experimentation. So not the Wild West, but some form of way where you where you are worried less in these opening years about how you ultimately control and yes, you might build in some inefficiency into that and actually might end up costing you a little bit more. But the reality is the upside of it should be higher because you're just experimenting more freely. And I think that's the balance that needs to be struck in the conversation, not only at uh, individual organization level, but actually there's a meta question in that as well about how AI is released into society and the world that that needs to get considered. I'm, I, like like all things, either end of that spec that that continuum is probably not the place you want to be. You want to be you want to be in the middle, judging what you're doing, uh, and and don't get in the way of it. You know, like be on the right side of the change. I think. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I read um, Satya Nadella's actually listened to Satya Nadella's um, hit refresh. It's really interesting um, his story so far um, mm. around Microsoft. And he talked. He, he used a term that he, when he was transforming Microsoft, which I think he's done a fantastic job. And you only have to look at the numbers that have come out recently. Yeah, uh, right. Um, abs- absolutely, absolutely amazing case study. Like tr- truly, tr- truly transformational. And, and one of the things he 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 yeah. quoted was, and I thought that's absolutely right. Um, is that culture eats strategy for breakfast? And and he took a quote, and, yeah, and, and sure. I think he's really led that through what he does, what he's he's done to his people within Microsoft, and it, and and you yeah. and and as a strategy, the, the culture that they've driven isn't just written on the walls. You know, they 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 do live it, and they they ask those questions time and time again. From the type of business that they were, he's had to make that change, and it appears it's he's he's done a great job at it. You know, people will stand up and say, no, that's wrong. We need to try and do this, or we need to do things differently. Now, fundamentally, you still need operational yeah. excellence, and you need to you need the you need the, like you said, Dave, you, the basics need to be in there. But what he suddenly managed to do with OpenAI so quickly 
and implement that into you know and release it yeah in 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 a co in co-pilot is, is incredible you know it's like wow that that is that that's art and you know art and vision and and culture that's driven that you know so it's exciting times and again another aside but you know but he focused on the, the but the point you make there about um culture and strategy for breakfast is 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 very true you know it's a it's a phrase that's been around for a good long while now but actually people still ignore it they do and and if you um if you, if you don't address fundamentally how an organization thinks and feels about something you can you can really forget about fundamentally changing it you've got you've got to engage with some of the deeper themes of an organization i think to to really profoundly change it and that's one of those things it's far easier to say than it is to do so so dave i don't know whether you've come across the term hippo culture but um that's the highest paid person in the room i'm not sure (laughs) walks in you know and 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 everybody listens to that person and you know that that's sort of a culture that i've i've come across in my career and that that balance of people feeling when they have a good leader that they can say anything you know, and feel comfortable in saying that, um, I think is what mm, Satcher's mm. managed to do, you know, whether, whether it's still, you know, still going to be nervous around Satcher because he's going to be like such a powerful influence over the business. But I think as long as you ask an intelligent question, he, he'll give you, you know, he'll give you his answer and, and in the right growth mindset way, you know, not, not, a, not a question. You've got to consider that all the time now in terms of, you know, Continuous education is probably the most important element, I think, in a business like like that. It's like having that mindset. I need to learn something every day here. You know, this is moving fast, and I need to continuously learn. So, answers like build, building I this think, podcast I, is great. You know? no, yeah, not not just even not just even within a company like Microsoft. I think just the era we're moving into, and certainly that our kids will will inhabit, might mean they have hugely diverse careers so like i think it's already evident i'm a gen x person mm-hmm. and you know bef- you know before me is like boomers and early gen x's you know and even some people in in my age group have had pretty stable careers you know they've gone in to do one job and they've kind of trucked along over that period some have been very successful some have been happy and less successful but you know they've done this pretty almost the same job for their entire career. I, I just can't imagine that that's the case anymore. And, you know, my my job has changed fairly wildly. Like I started out training as a quantity surveyor of all things wow. and did construction economics and then pivoted into IT. And then from going from being customer side in IT and being CIO and transformation leader and that kind of thing, now in, more into the world of, consultancy and advisory and and helping other organizations move along and then yeah as as you say getting to do things like podcasts is an entirely unpredicted thing even as of about five years ago so uh yeah i think that fleet of footness and always being ready to continue to learn is 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 not a nice to have anymore it's like you just got to go into your life with that framing yeah and i mean i I think um well one of my favorite books that i've read recently is um atomic habits i don't know whether you've come across it but it's a great little i haven't i i am still wading wading my way through an incredibly long book 
by J.K. Rowling. You know, she does that thing where she writes as Robert Galbraith and writes like a detective <laughs> right, series okay. thing. It's actually a very entertaining series. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm on a tangent no, 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 here, no. John. But it's very entertaining. It's a very entertaining series of books. Um, but the new one she's got out, nine hundred odd pages. Oh my god! I've been in the middle of that book for what feels like months at this point. So I, I haven't read that book you, you point out because I'm I'm lost. Now you sound around. like you're having more fun than I am. I think. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm so not sure. so, what advice then would you offer to professionals aspiring to move into leadership roles in the tech industry, particularly? Yeah, um, areas like cloud mm-hmm. strategy, digital transformation. Should they focus on AI? What what? you know just just advice to young professionals trying to move or or just build their careers and build their knowledge is there certain things that you'd say you know these are the top three things that you really should think about when you're moving into an it role you know yeah and it's different now um in the world of digital and cloud native than it was previously so if you look at previous iterations of it organizations um the way that you moved up is you became more of a manager, less of a technology centric person and, and more of a manager. And that, and that could be a manager of people. It could be a manager of suppliers. Um, but it was almost like that the more senior you got, the more de-skilled you became in the application of core technology. And that was visible in lots of IT organizations, becoming order taking organizations, splitting from, you know, not really being embedded in the business. Um, de-skilling the organization by outsourcing so much of it, that kind of thing. So therefore, as a as, as an aspirant leader uh, or an aspirant CIO, there was a fairly clear track that you went on through that. What I think has really very much changed since the advent of cloud um, is that really understanding your technology and really understanding how you apply that to solve for big problems is part of the job now all the way to the boardroom. And that's a a way of thinking in in technology that I completely advocate for, that the the tech organizations within larger organizations are the digital brain of the organization. Some of them don't act like that, but that's what they should be. That's what the board wants them to be. Um, So it's about have skills, have as many as you can, Go as deep as you want in certain areas, but don't only go in one area. Like, really build out your skill set. Really understand what's going on. Um, when you're more junior practitioner or engineer, you need to go deep in a particular area. Have a thing that everybody knows you for, and be and be shit hot at it. Uh, and then as you and then as you start to build out from that, you need to add in other skills like architectural thinking. You need to you need to be able to think about program management. You need to understand how finance impacts technology, which sometimes I know to some deeply technical people can feel like you're selling out a little bit, but actually the reality of the situation is if you want to do big transformation, you really have to understand the financial framework that sits around it and the outcomes from that. Yeah. And then as we talk, touched on it in one of the earlier questions, as you're developing that out, you need to be developing out your uh, personal side of things like what kind of leader do you want to be in a in a world of you know supportive leadership how do you want to show up and how do you want to help others to be successful um so i would say that the going at it from a point of view of 
uh, I think a lot of people refer to these things as being T-shaped, which is deep in one area, but then broad enough across a load of other areas. And that's not a bad way to sort of to hold it. It's probably not my preferred model, but it's the one that comes to mind now is to, to, to think about that and be intentional about those things. What it will also take from a personal level is courage. And sometimes courage to do the right thing and then sometimes courage to say no to things. Like in my career, in my early career, I was I was dead set on being a chief technology officer. Um, so I turned down like a lot of operational roles in the route to being a CTO at the time, which was great. And I actually, I actually got was lucky enough to be a CTO of DWP when I was in my early thirties, and I was delighted about it and thoroughly enjoyed it. But what I also realized was. I wasn't T-shaped enough. I was like very deep in the world of being a CTO, but I didn't have transformational experience. I, I had limited operational experience. I didn't have too much apps experience. So what I've spent then is, the, you know, I then spent 10 years building out depth in other areas. So um, the core thing in all of that, a bit long-winded, but the core thing is with tech today, especially if you're executing it within a, non-tech organization or an organization that's looking at you as an IT department, you need to stay um, technical, stay practitioner. And even when you're in very senior leadership roles, really know your stuff about how IT can be applied to that business. Now, I focused that very long-winded answer really just on what it's like to be in an IT department. There's obviously a whole other world of a career in tech where you can stay pure engineering and you can stay and you can stay entirely pure in um, the practitioner side of technology if you go to things like the cloud service providers or systems integrators where you can make your whole career um, not trying to move up through management ranks, but actually just being a, a kind of a distinguished engineer uh, is, an, is another way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing you said about that is, is, is that that dynamic of continuous learning sort of was built into that as well. You said about, you know, it's important that you still learn about the technology and don't just be a manager, you know, don't fall into that trap of, you know, yeah. that, the, you know, when you yeah. get there that you, you don't realize, yeah, I'm a great people manager, but then I don't really understand. So when you're in the room having those conversations, you suddenly really, you have to take notes and think, I don't understand this. And, and did you, did you yeah. come across that then when you were, you're sort of thinking, oh, God, I need to go off and learn this. And I imagine that's going to happen to anyone, right? So, so yeah, so it happens at different levels. I mean, God, there's a when you were moving fast in an organization, you can be in meetings every day where you don't understand some aspect of it and, and learning about how you respond to that and actually manage for that is – it's part and parcel of the. It's part and parcel yeah. of the journey, yeah, yeah. really. Um, the oh, what was I going to say? I was going to. I had something else I was going to say on that. The 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 big aspect of um, of of continuous learning and continuous improvement for me. Give me a minute, John. Hmm. You might have to edit point this. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to get my thought no, together. Just remind me of your question. Well, I, I completely let, lost let, my let way. Let me give you this one because I think this will probably help frame it. Yeah, but yeah. say reflecting you on your career journey, how would you think te the technology mm -hmm. industry's mm -hmm. approach 
is going to evolve. I would say is probably you know the the real final question in terms of where do you think it's heading? Mm-hmm. Because that's where a leader now or a young leader coming up. Where do I go? What do I do? How do I do it right? You know the why, what, when, where um, sort of thought process. Yes. You know, and and it's really trying to help a young um, technologist really find a way you know to mm. in, to enjoy his career because you said like you said it's like moving so fast so and and again it's um you know those elements those elements that you've used to navigate yeah is is, is really ha- is what we're sort of trying to look to find you know that that there isn't a secret source right but you know are there are there certain things right. that you'd say that you need to build into you who you are to to help you along that that journey really Yes, there is a couple of things. Um, the first is I saw a, a little, I think an Instagram clip of Obama talking about um, not a dissimilar thing. It wasn't exactly the same thing, but it was not a dissimilar thing. And he was reflecting on be the person that gets on with stuff. So instead of being the person that waits around for the big opportunity or the exact right thing. Be the person in the room that um, goes, "Yep, I'll take that. I'll take a run at that," and then and then go away and then smash it, and then do the same again. Those are the sorts of things that get you noticed. That's going to get you noticed in any type of organization. Is just be the be the person that can be trusted to get on with stuff, get stuff done, be a self starter, uh, and be collaborative in doing that. The other thing I would add to that, not that I would ever try and add to any of Barber's <laughs> wisdom, but that maybe as an aside to it, um, is just keep an eye on a little internal meter of am, am I adding value here? And it's it's dead easy when you're in a big organization in particular to just get caught along in the in the sort of currents of the process and 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 just run along and and think that if, well if I've got this in my annual plan and if I achieve that in my annual plan then great well actually that's not good enough like for me um there's so many people who do great in their annual plans but actually they're never going to change anything they're not standing out to me as being interesting or a leader or bringing anything new to the party they're just playing the game or they're just going along like I said in in the current of how the organization functions I don't, I don't rate that particularly what what I look for are those individuals that have have thoughtful opinions will bring them forward that will that will disagree with what's going on but then commit to the di- direction we've agreed as an organization um so that internal meter of am i bringing something here like am i am i bringing some value and i think if you're that can do person and you're constantly metering yourself around having value almost no matter what the construct around you is doing you are going to ultimately be demonstrating leadership ability, bringing something to an organization where you're actually helping change that organization or helping that organization progress. And that to me, um, always, always looks and feels good. Sitting underneath that, you've got all of the other things you talked about, which is continuous learning and, and being up to speed with what's going on in your industry. And then if you're in the world of technology, in the world of technology, which is obviously a very rapid clip. And then finally, the advice of others and, li- and and having a real listening 
from the advice of others. Now that can be coaches, but it could also be, you know, the person in the organization who irritates you the most might have, have something there that you could absorb and find useful and make you more effective. So you're not going to call that person out uh, on this session on this <laughs> today, too, too many to note in the time available, John. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the sub-note <laughs> of that, I, I remember, I, I don't, you probably never watched this, but I read a few books on it in the past. Red Dwarf, when Red Dwarf was trying to select... Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I yeah. watched Red Dwarf. So when Red Dwarf was trying to select the um, person that would keep um, Rimmer, um, Rimmer alive, or is it Rimmer? Yeah, it was Rimmer. I'm trying to remember which way I went there. Yeah, Rimmer, yeah. He, wanted, he was the horror guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted to keep, yeah, he wanted to keep him alive. Mm. He selected the person that annoyed him the most. Mm. Right, because he knew that would keep him. Right, it would right, keep right. him sane. Right, so that's the, the, that's the hologram in the beginning. So because if you, if you yeah, think yeah. of the person that annoys you the most, oh, yeah, is that right? they keep you right. sane. They're more likely to keep you sane than somebody that's just your friend. Yeah. So so it's strange, yeah. but that um, the things that raise you, it it also helps you raise the bar. I, I'd say sometimes is that person that's that's putting the coal on your fire to go. Yeah, I need to get that done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. That's, that person's driving me in that direction. So, I would also say that having that, you know, everybody has that in there. There's always someone in an organization that you aren't aligned with, or you, or you feel like is in your way a lot, or is your major competitor, or your major, you know, the person who's trying to block the change program you're trying to. There's always the, those people always yeah. exist, and framing them in the way that you've just said. Um, makes it so much easier to deal with that situation. So it removes it from being a conflict situation into being like a, a, a like a learning situation. And it's a bit pat that, but the, legitimately, the more you can approach those situations in a constructive manner, um, the more success you ultimately you're going to have, and the more successful the program you're going to have is. When I look back, like going full circle on the conversation, when I look back at that change program I was talking about earlier. And I think about the complexities of the, of the stakeholder management and the, and the, you know, some of the aggressors that we had in that situation, I would just deal with that sort of profoundly differently now than, than I did at the time, you know, where I was probably a bit obtuse and a little bit dismissive or, you know, I would bog something down in governance or whatever it might be. Actually, there are much more constructive ways to deal with that. And, and instead of thinking about it subjectively, as a as a conflict situation, thinking about it, thinking about it objectively as a learning situation is far healthier. It, it, it also much less stressful. Yeah, I, I sometimes lean to ARP to answer that question when I say to the kids about it. I say, look, everybody can go to uh, I, don't, I don't know modern art or whatever you like, yeah, and look at a picture mm. and see it completely differently. So you know the the perception, yeah. your perception might be completely wrong, and and unless you take a step back and have a look at that perception and go, actually, maybe I am wrong, and 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 get other people's opinion and 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 collaborate effectively, you know, and understand where you are. Yeah. You might be right, but sometimes it is, you know, taking that step back and having a look at that everything that's going on. And I say to the kids, look. You need to do this. You need to take that approach with with life. You know, there will be people that you you won't ever get on with, but it doesn't mean they won't bring value in a business situation. They might never be your friend, yeah. but they will be 
they could be valuable to the organization so don't dismiss that out of hand you know so um yeah. Look, I think um, I think you've been absolutely fantastic guest on the show, so I really do appreciate it. And I know we haven't talked anything about dyslexia. You know, the, the whole whole concept wasn't to talk about dyslexia. It was to, to say that, you know, the, the nice thing about technology, it's transforming, it's transformative. And so my, my little mission is that actually people that um, historically were um, in the neurodiverse camp, technology is going to transform that mm. enormously in the next, you know, 10 yeah. to 20 years and those people that think like richard branson you know are going to be more valuable in organizations so that was the the chance of the tiny little bit at the end really you know so it, it's it's about how that's going to work you know. I, I i couldn't i couldn't agree more uh, i think in a world where in a world where frankly a lot of the thinking is going to end up getting done for us and things are going to be automated that haven't been automated before in different sorts of ways humans that think differently and bring new perspective that are sometimes completely out of left field is actually where a huge amount of value is going to be driven and actually the you know if you get very philosophical about it and think about well what is the role of the human in a in an AI driven society, you know it's it's often doing new things and thinking about things in a new way. So you're entirely right, John, that uh, the, the, there is nothing stopping anybody to contribute into that situation. And and the more diverse that gets, the better. Yeah, that's um, that's great. Great. Look, I mean, it's been really great fun having you on. And look, this is. Uh, this is, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm hoping to have a, quite a few more of these sessions and you're, you're always welcome back, Dave, anytime you want. And maybe we'll ask more fun questions next time. But it was, you know, it's to try and share with those young leaders or those young people coming through that, you know, everybody has certain challenges in their career and, you know, how you've talked about how you manage that and you think, is, I think it's going to help a great deal of people. And I'm hoping that um, people listen to this and learn something or at least take a snippet out of it and, they can they can it can help them with their careers and 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 potentially their way of thinking so thank you thanks john thanks for inviting me on it's been a real pleasure